American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about William Russell Grace, who overcame the odds to become the first Catholic mayor of New York City. New York City was dominated by anti-Catholics and the machine at Tammany Hall for so many years. How did an Irish Catholic immigrant break through? Well, it helped that he had become fabulously wealthy so he could withstand the corrupting influences. Also, he had just sent a steamer full of food and supplies to famine-stricken Ireland at his own expense. So he was also very popular throughout the city. Right. But let's start at the beginning. William Grace was born in Ireland. Right. William Grace was born in County Cork in 1832. His parents were from wealthy Irish families. When he was 14, he ran away to get away from the potato famine and jumped on a ship bound for New York City. He returned home just two years later. But the potato famine hadn't ended, so he wasn't in Ireland to stay. No, but this time he didn't leave alone. In 1850, his father, James, took him and his brother, Michael, to Peru, where they intended to be part of a colonization effort. It didn't take off as James had hoped, so he returned home, but Michael and William, who was known as Billy, stayed in Peru. They had joined up with the shipping firm John Brace and Company and were advancing their careers. Within a few years, they had worked themselves to become partners in Bryce, Grace and Company, and then John Brace left the company and it became Grace Brothers and Company. They made a fortune by, among other things, becoming the most significant exporters of guano. Guano? You mean dried bat droppings? That's exactly right. Guano has properties that make it exceedingly valuable as a fertilizer and in making gunpowder. Peru, and especially certain islands off its coast, was the most significant producer and exporter of guano in the Western Hemisphere. So the Grace Brothers made a lot of money. In 1865, Billy had to leave Peru due to poor health. He settled in New York City where he established W.R. Grace and Company, a new shipping firm that was tied to Grace Brothers down in Peru. Through W.R. Grace and Company, Billy became the chief importer not only of guano, but of all Peruvian goods in North America and Europe. So you could say that Grace really built on nature. But exporting Peruvian guano and other goods wasn't Billy Grace's only interest in Peru. No. Grace invested heavily in the countryside. He built the railroads and other infrastructure and became an advisor to the government, responsible for outfitting its military. When Peru lost a disastrous war to Chile, Grace and a business associate went in together to buy up all of the American and English bonds that Peru had purchased, thus assuming Peru's national debt. In the agreement, Grace and associates gained control of silver mines, the entire output of guano deposits, 5 million acres with oil and mineral deposits, and other concessions. They saved Peru from implosion, and they made out very well on the deal. He certainly did. But with all this success, Grace did not forget about the people back in Ireland. Yes, in the late 1870s, another famine struck Ireland, and Billy, certainly remembering how awful the potato famine was in his youth, sent a steamer full of food and needed supplies to relieve the hunger at his own expense. New York City, it should be noted, had become much more Irish by this point because many thousands of Irish immigrants had come to New York since the potato famine of the 1840s. So when a wealthy citizen did something like this, it made a significant portion of the city take notice. Yes, and while this act of charity was especially powerful within the Irish community, it also was noted by the non-Catholics and the anti-Catholics as well. So it was natural that the boss of Tammany Hall, 
honest John Kelly, would approach him to run for mayor in 1880. He agreed. Just two weeks before the election, he became the Democrat Party's candidate for mayor. The New York Times, ever the sober and fair paper of record, panned his candidacy, poo-pooing especially his Irish birth and Catholic faith. A Republican wrote that he would make the city subordinate to the Pope. The anti-Catholic know-nothings were out in force to keep the Catholic candidate from winning, but to no avail. He won the election by just under 3,000 votes. New York City had its first Catholic mayor, and Tammany Hall had another victory. Right. But as we said at the outset, he was actually known for fighting Tammany Hall. And he was. Within a month of taking office, Honest John Kelly called on the mayor to ask why the mayor hadn't appointed the man Tammany Hall had put up for a particular post. The mayor said the man wasn't fit. This notion of someone needing to be fit for a government post was a novel concept to John Kelly. Words were passed, and as John Kelly was leaving, Mayor Grace was heard stating emphatically, No one can dictate to me, Mr. Kelly. That wasn't quite the arrangement Kelly was accustomed to or expected. No, and thus they were at war. Grace's next test was cleaning up the streets, literally. Right. The job of sweeping and cleaning the streets of the city was a function left to a handful of police officers. They were paid handsomely to arrange the work and make sure it happened. They were not doing it at all. Grace brought charges against those police officers. Tammany Hall had a bill passed to separate street cleaning from the police department, which seems like a reasonable arrangement, so the charges no longer applied and they were tossed. But the ordeal had brought the problem so much into the public light that those responsible for cleaning streets could no longer get away with not doing it. Grace also opposed at least one sweetheart arrangement that a businessman pushed through the state's legislature to puff up his investments. Mayor Grace's pressure convinced the governor to veto the bill. He did much in his first term to fight police scandals, nepotism in government appointments, and organized vice. He also reduced the tax rate. He decided not to run for re-election in 1882, and he went back to his businesses. But two years later, a group of reform-minded businessmen recruited Grace to run again, this time with Tammany Hall opposed to him. Yes, and Tammany Hall even went so far as to make a deal with the Republicans to unite in their efforts to beat Grace. This deal was noticed and rejected by one prominent Republican state assemblyman named Teddy Roosevelt, who came out in favor of Grace. Tammany Hall pulled out all the stops to defeat Grace, even spreading rumors that he wasn't a properly naturalized citizen. So the spirit of birtherism and slinging whatever money is available isn't anything new. Oh, no, not in American elections. Whatever it takes to win. In this case, Tammany Hall's tactics backfired to so many people. If the corrupt folks at Tammany Hall hated Grace that much, it spoke volumes about his character. He won by 10,000 votes. His second two-year term was less drama-filled, but not less significant. He got the legislature to pass a bill requiring all city franchises to be awarded to the highest bidder rather than the one with the best connections. Then in 1885, two landmark events took place. First, he accepted, on behalf of the entire country, the Statue of Liberty from France. Shortly thereafter, he secured the permission to have Ulysses S. Grant, the great general of the Civil War and 18th president of the United States, buried in New York City. Grant's tomb is a remarkable monument in Upper Manhattan. And as in his first term, William Grace went to Mass every morning before beginning his official duties as mayor. So now we know where he got the strength to stand on good, solid principles. At the conclusion of his second two-year term, he once again declined to run for re-election, preferring to return to private life. The rest of his life was filled with running W.R. Grace and company, building it to the point that every major city on the west coast of Central and South America had a corporate office and getting into many other industries beyond guano and shipping. 
Grace had stepped away from public service, but he did not stop working for the good of his fellow citizens. Yes. In 1897, he established the Grace Institute in New York City. This institute was dedicated to helping women, particularly immigrant women, learn skills such as stenography, bookkeeping, dressmaking, and domestic science. The idea for this came to him when a strike at one of his enterprises showed him how reliant families were on the husband's income. If the husband went on strike, the family had problems. Grace figured that if women had marketable skills, they could work for a time to keep the family afloat. And as a shipping magnet, he was involved in another important project for American interest. Yes, the last chapter of his life saw him advocate mightily for a shipping canal through Central America. The French had begun building one in Panama in 1881, but they stopped. This project was picked up by the United States in 1904 by Grace's old New York political ally, Teddy Roosevelt, when Roosevelt was the president of the United States. William Grace would not live to see the completion of the Panama Canal in 1914. Grace died in March 1904 of complications from pneumonia. His Grace Foundation continues doing good work through the Sisters of Charity. W.R. Grace and Company is still in business today and is one of the world's largest chemical companies. William Grace left behind his wife of 45 years and five of their 11 children, six having preceded him in death. He also left behind a city transformed for the good. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and a review. To learn more about today's topic, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com history. You can email us at history at sqpn or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at sqpn. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. Okay. Oh my gosh, I now have to find a place to include that No. Part. Yes. No. Hey, yes, it's happening. They made a fortune by becoming the most significant exporters of guano. So you could say that Grace really built on nature.